0: When I first started, I thought, right, I'm going to be like, I'm going to, want to, I want to write like David Bowie and like the Beatles and everything, and I started trying to write more like Bowie. You know, I was very influenced by the spiders from Mars, and uh, it's it, it was just a total mess and it's pretentious, like claptrap. And then I got into Buddy Holly. Uh, from Bowie an And I, I I got absolutely obsessed with it. So I started then, I thought, no, I, I'm not going to try and be David, but I'm going to try and write these three-minute pop songs that are, are really catchy. And then I was around my friend's one night uh, playing the guitar around there. He used to recall me singing them. You know, he's, he was a very good friend. And all of a sudden, his father came into the room. He said, that's sounding a lot better, what you're doing now than what you've done in the past. I thought, oh, God. You know, like somebody else is like, uh, thinks I might be onto something. And that's what I then concentrated on.
1: Day podcast radio show with Bruce Hilliard. Today and every day, reaching out for innovative ideas in every way. Today's show is brought to you by your future. It comes with a lifetime guarantee. My friend Neil Fitzsimon just bounced off a satellite from England to join you and me. Neil is the songwriter and guitarist of Fitzsimon and Brogan, and B. Brogan, of course, is his sweetie and the voice of Fitzsimon and Brogan, and so far I've yet to figure out an attractive enough bribe to get her on the show. Here's their latest single, Girl in a Gilded Cage, coming out October nineteenth. song girl in a gilded cage that song and the albums big blue world and its latest squeeze are all available on spotify itunes napster anywhere where music can be downloaded and now here's neil Fitzsimon.
0: and uh i think another thing as well both of us know about you bruce is that we both hate these big heartfelt ballads that they come out now whether you know like you know these love lawn ballads that mean absolutely nothing. You know, it sounds like they've got a heart that's a swinging brick. You know, I've just, I'm just not into that at all. <laughs> well put. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I spoke just about the current music and about you know the, um, the influences of uh, and the way you know what's in the email, the way the music really has gone down. Uh, the toilet a little bit now especially in the uk why do you uh, say
1: uk is is it just germane to
0: the uk and not america or yeah I, I just don't think there's such a wide scope of music in this country because we went to london a couple of weeks ago and and, and all the places you go to like coffee places they're playing this you know i don't know what to say like, like this edm like uh, pop music and it's just one track after another with a vocal that's been done on a void or something like that and it's just you know as i said i think now that the type of music that we do what we're, we're seen as outsiders now bands who do that type of stuff you know you're called left left field now for doing our stuff where you know back in those days of the 60s and 70s that was the main type of music but now it's been shoved apart but shoved away by these like you know, plastic cardboard cutout uh, people, and that playing what you know, one song with a, like a terrible drum machine on it, and I, I, you know, it just drives me mad. Is is Ed Sheeran like popular in the states? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I, well, I don't know. I, I don't get Ed Sheeran at all. Yeah, do you like him? Uh, yeah, I I appreciate what he does. Oh right, yeah, because um, I. <laughs> i have a problem he doesn't look like a pop star he looks like, like somebody who works on a farm <laughs> need your oil <laughs>
1: change there ma'am yeah i don't know <laughs> that's what i thought too to be truthful but uh, yeah i don't yeah I, aside from that uh, he sounds good he's a good
0: singer um yeah and yeah i i just these singer songwriters today i just haven't got a lot of um of time for you know when you compare them to somebody like um cat stevens oh, or something yeah. like that I, he came out of a
1: interesting era and group of people as well uh the kinks rod stewart I think, yeah i think hendrix toured with cat stevens yeah yeah and engelbert it, yeah. of all people yeah
0: oh I mean, <laughs> yes yeah i i, I mean um Cat Stevens wrote First Cut is the deepest, didn't he? He wrote that when he was about 16 or 17. He, he did, yeah.
1: That's crazy. You never thought that. I heard him sing it on a special, and it
0: didn't sound anything like Rod Stewart's version, but it was a good song. Yeah, as you can see, I'm a, like a 60s nut. I'm, I'm reading a book on The Beatles again now um, by Jeff Emmerich, you know, the, he, the engineer. The engineer. And all their sessions. Oh, amazing stuff, yeah. Of all the
1: Beatles stuff that I've ever read, the Jeff Emmerich stuff is fascinating. And, oh,
0: have you read that? Yeah. Have you read the book? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. the thing about that book, I ha- I had to order that from the States because no one would publish it in this country. <laughs> what? Yeah. It's so good it's censored in England. Yeah. Okay. Let- yeah, it's unbelievable. I'm, yeah. I'm reading it now. And some of the stuff about those last sessions they did, it's like poison, isn't it? What was crazy about those guys is like Lennon would
1: say, I want it to sound like this. And he didn't seemed to articulate it very well what he even wanted and so I think okay well, we better figure something out or he's not gonna be happy and they'd come up with a, yeah. a strawberry fields yeah. or something and it was changing the voltage on the motor on the recorder or something crazy. I would never even think of yeah.
0: want to do. I'd break the machine probably but they were taking things apart, you know. At- I, they were I, I mean I was I found it really funny. I read the the other the other night when I was reading it. Um is that when <clears throat> he used to say to McCartney, what do you want, you know, like on your vocal or on your on your bass? He said, oh, you know, I want a bit of top end and I want, you know, you, can you compress it a bit and everything like that? And he said, w- whereas with like John Lennon, he said to John Lennon, he said, what do you want your vocal to sound like? I'm the Boris. He said, I want it to sound like I'm singing on the moon. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> I guess
1: you'd have to know him personally. They, what they came up with was was just incredible. Oh, yeah. but, but Jeff Emmerich, I think, was in his teens when he started working
0: with those guys. He was, yeah. He was, uh, he was fifteen. Yeah, but I thought I was going to say seventeen. Fifteen. Yeah, he was. Yeah, I think he was born in nineteen forty-eight, and he started. <laughs> oh, hang on a minute, forty-eight yeah he was, he was only about yeah about 15 yeah about 15 to 16 years old how did he get that gig i think it's yeah what happened was was that he told his um his careers officer. you know like you know they come around to schools and you know you get the chat of what what you prefer and he wanted to do that he had a, a great love of like recording he was already making up you know he's cutting tape, splicing it making his own playlists um And he told the careers officer and the careers officer tried to like dissuade him and said, you know, there's not many jobs going like that. And then about seven weeks later, uh, this careers officer got a a phone call from another careers officer who said, said, do you know of anyone who might be interested going into the recording industry? Because EMI are looking for an apprentice engineer. And that's how he got it. Wow. Yeah. And by the way, you will be working with the Beatles. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I don't know how he did it. I mean, it, I, I would have been, when I've been reading about, I mean, the way that they spoke to him and George Martin, to, you know, when they they were like, um, well, they like royalty then, weren't they? And the way Lennon spoke to him, I mean, I don't know. I could never have put up with that. No way. Okay. And, they, and they worked so hard as well, didn't they? And the Beatles like, started coming in at midnight and working all through the night, and they had to be there, ready to record whenever they felt like it. Uh, for the benefit of Mr.
1: Kite, they, oh, were,
0: no. they were trying to put
1: together that whirly sound. That you can't even, like you're on the moon, no. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah uh, that's right. Yeah, so yeah. It was, uh, they couldn't find Calliope recordings. And they, that, that's yeah, they didn't they go to like some room where they kept all the sound effects and then they threw all the, the bits of tape up in the end and then put that them into was, like any order and it all came it. out like that. Yeah, get
1: what what recordings you can and now I think George Martin told Jeff Emmerich to cut it up into ten inch pieces, something to that effect. Yeah, that's
0: and throw it over amazing, your head and then it?
1: spice it together. Yeah. Yeah, it's really great. <laughs> it sounds pretty cool what they ended up with. And
2: tonight Mr. Kite is topping the bill.
0: Oh my God! Uh, and because uh, I told you I actually went there, you know that we did some stuff down there. Yeah, I know. I'm not worthy. You're the man. You get <laughs> to go there. That's so cool. Yeah, that was. Yeah, it was quite amazing. Because we went down just to do lots like, of production stuff down there, post production stuff. The the rest of the band didn't come with me. I, I went on my own because um, uh, the bass player couldn't be bothered and everything like that. So I went down to do some stuff down there with a the, uh, producer uh yeah and i think b really regrets that she didn't go that day with me now do
1: you find that you're more aggressive than most other people in in pursuing your goals and your dreams and stuff because i run into that myself and a lot of people look at me like what are you crazy what are you doing man
0: i I think i told you didn't i mean they they said you know we're a bit of a force to be reckoned with because we had a little bit of a a sharp tongue shall we say with people but yeah I mean you know you've got to be I mean, as we've been talking about I don't think John Lennon you know as much as I love him and like I love Elvis Costello and I love people like David Bowie I don't think they were the most pleasant of people in the long run I mean they had that edge to them and I think to survive in that you've got to have a bit of that to be quite honest it's kind of
1: ironic that uh, John Lennon was such a promoter of peace and everything, but <laughs> but, but he had that it, other side of the sword
0: to him, you know? Oh yeah, he was terrible. Well, some of the things, I mean, I've read a lot of books on him and, and some of the remarks he made, <laughs> uh, were really, you know, quite, I, it, and I, I watched an interview today. I was just look, flicking through YouTube of, um, where Lennon was saying, he said, oh, I remember my first headline with the Beatles was that I decked, like decked, which is like, you know, knocked out, uh, a photographer at a party was taking pictures uh when i didn't want any pictures taken and he just knocked him out and i thought oh my god Jeez. yeah yeah i know but i think the, you know, the weird thing about lennon what was that out of all of them he came from the most middle class background he did he uh he used to put on that scouser accent, and I know his aunt Mimi used to say to him, "Why the hell are you talking like that? Like you're a real like I think they called them whackers, didn't they? The ones who like came from like the dock area. In <laughs> you're Liverpool. asking
1: me? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they're,
0: they're like the they're like the real scousers, you know. But he lived it. He lived in like uh, a part of Liverpool that was a little bit more upmarket. Yeah, you know what? I I want to go
1: to England and and visit. Because I have yeah. absolutely no idea. Have you
0: ever been to America? No, I've never been.
1: Well, never been. We should do a student exchange
0: program. Yeah, yeah, that would be good. Yeah, yeah. Cause what, what 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 part are you in, Bruce? West Coast, Seattle. The only thing I know about Seattle is watching Fraser Crane. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's right. <laughs> you see, that? yeah, okay, it's nothing like that.
0: Oh yeah, I like, absolutely love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: When I talk to people around the world and really across the United States, we're kind yeah. of known for grunge bands and stuff like that. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't know why, because there are all kinds of different music that comes out of here. But for all of all things, grunge music was was a thing. But then there's Starbucks coffee. The, the, oh yeah, the Seattle stereotypes.
0: Is N- that is that where Nirvana came from?
1: Nirvana was actually from uh, Aberdeen. That's the town I grew oh. up in. in Aberdeen oh, was it? Aberdeen's closer to the coast. Yeah. Here's a little about my background. In Aberdeen, it rains about 85 inches a year. So we had a lot of garage bands because there was yeah. nothing else to do, sort of. And, and it was popular. And in the 60s, um, it was gu- guitar bands were getting really popular. And yeah. there were some songs that were pretty easy to play. And... The Beatles were huge. So we were learning harmonies and stuff. And that was just what everybody kind of did. And and as when I were in like the late 70s, and I opened for some pretty notable bands and stuff just because we were pretty good and I happened to be at the right place at the right time. But a lot of kids would come and listen to us rehearse. And we were down, the house we rented was in an area of Aberdeen called, we called it Felony Flats. It was kind of a <laughs> tough part of town. Uh, yeah, kind of got to be a, a druggy, high crime area. Kurt Cobain grew up about a block from this house where we used to rehearse. Right. I didn't know him personally, but I knew his mom a short while, uh, a summer between college years for me. And, All right. he, and he was, I don't know, 13, something like that. And then I came back years later and uh somebody said there's this new band nirvana and they handed me a cassette tape it wasn't even on cd what they gave me and i i listened to it i thought that yeah, that's pretty cool i had no idea it was yeah. going to be like quadruple platinum in about four weeks but <laughs> and yeah well it was Kurt Cobain i thought that must be wendy's kid because wendy was going through well she had just divorced when i knew her yeah so when you read some of the uh, books about Nirvana or Kurt Cobain and stuff, and he was kind of pissed off because she was seeing other guys.
0: Did he sleep rough, like slept outside and it, everything like that? Yeah,
1: they say there was a bridge he slept under. Yeah. There's a bridge that goes across a river that you could pretty much throw a rock across the river. Uh, right. A muddy river called Wishka it's I all oh, right leaves muddy it means muddy river the Wishkaw River Wendy his mom ended up marrying my brother-in-law years later and that's the, yeah so and Kurt hated him because my brother-in-law was a pretty good drinker back in the day all oh, right he doesn't yeah. drink at all now so there were nights where Kurt would just Leave, and that was one of the places he kind of hung out. So I don't know that he was like sleeping, you know, consistently under the bridge. No, but no. then he, and um, one of the teachers from the college or the high school I went to uh, kind of adopted him because he took in kind of the, the kids in the area that needed a place to stay and he sta- stayed with uh, Mr. Schillinger, was his name, stayed with him, right. him for a while. So, and it's strange to go back there because everybody thinks I know. I knew Kurt personally and everything. I knew him as a little kid, but yeah. but yeah, I knew his mother much better, and I knew his family and and all that. And then they yeah. asked me, well, did he kill himself or was it a conspiracy? Did Courtney have him whacked? And I, I have no idea. Yeah,
0: you know? no, <laughs> it depends on who I, you talk to. I, I thought he was brilliant, though. I thought he was. I thought they were. Uh, th- that album, like Nevermind, I think it's a class. The first time me and Myself and B saw them was one on a Friday night. We had, we used to have a program here called The Word, which is like a bit of an late night Friday night for all the people that had just come out of the bars and pubs to watch. Yeah. And when I saw them doing like Smells Like Teen Spirit, I just thought I said to B, "What the hell is this?" And uh, we went and bought the album the following day because, and then the other songs on that album like Lithium and everything like that, I think you know they're just brilliant songs. Open for Heart when
1: they were just starting out. Right before Dreamboat Annie really took off. I really like
0: that. I mean, that that alone, I think that's a fantastic song. I think it's really unfortunate that in the video for that, that, um, the blonde-haired girl, that's her sister, isn't it? Nancy, yeah. She was the one that they show more of, even though it's it's the dark-haired girl that's got the voice.
1: Yeah, I don't know why they did that. And MTV was really getting kind of strange during that period. Yeah. And they didn't like it either. I do know that and the the big hair and all that stuff. And the bands were, yeah, the bands were kind of the big hair bands and stuff. And, and they were like avoiding Michael Jackson. Now, if anybody should be on a video, I would think Michael Jackson dancing was pretty cool. Well, yeah. Thriller came out and that changed everything on MTV and it got kind of, kind of stagnant again. And that's when Nirvana came out with that video that you were just speaking of. And that just, that knocked it over.
0: Oh, the one with the janitor in the high school. Yeah. Where he's mopping the floor while the band are going mad and all this, all the cheerleaders. And they tear the place up. The story behind
1: that was Kurt's idea to do the like pep rally thing with the cheerleaders. Yeah. And they ordered pizza so they'd get some kids to come and everything. And then the t- they did take after take and it just took a long time. And after a while, the kids got so restless, they started to leave. So I think this yeah. was Kurt's idea too. He said, "Just let them rip up the set and just have a crazy time." And that's what they ended up. <laughs> that's what they're doing is they just got restless and they tore it up. So that's, yeah, yeah, that's a great. Yeah, do, do you like that song, Teen Spirit? I do, and uh, you know, the first time I heard it, I heard the first couple of chords.
0: Yeah, they're maybe, so the good, first, aren't they?
1: maybe the first measure, and I thought it was uh, Mother Freedom by Bread all right yeah Yeah. and then it sounded like uh oh i don't know uh more than the feeling boston all this happened within the first couple seconds but i almost pulled my car or i was driving and i had it on the radio
0: yeah the first time
1: i I heard that and uh it was yeah one of those what the heck because it just didn't didn't fit in with what else was on the playlist whatever i was listening to and it was crazy yeah have to ask you this question and i want to use this you're like 35 years old right yeah how is it you know so much you're so influenced by music of the 60s 70s and and the bands we tend to talk about all the time how does that work out it's like a time machine or something you're amazing
0: yeah it's because my mom she was into all of that stuff in the 60s she used to pre-order um all the all the Beatles uh, music and everything like that, and she was totally into it. So I got through that. Um, and when I just listened to that, uh, I just didn't really have a lot of time, like, for all the 80s stuff, you know, that awful, like, synth music. Um, and strangely enough, um, my, one of my sister's boys now, um, he is obsessed with the Beatles as well. And he's... He's only a kid, but he I, I heard him like play the drums, and he was absolutely unbelievable. But he's, the one thing he lacks, he's got no drive to do anything with it. Hmm. And my my sister said to me, how can you, like, talk, you know, can't you have a word with them? I said, I said, you, you can't tell people to do that. It's got to come from within. But, yeah, I would say that it was that I was influenced by all those people. And uh, I suppose in a way, yeah, I'm, I'm stuck in a time warp. But... Uh, I think it's a good place to be. you, when I first got an, an idea that I was doing something right it was when I, when I first started. I thought, right, I'm going to be like, I'm going to want to, I want to write like David Bowie and like the Beatles and everything. And I started trying to write more like Bowie. You know, I was very influenced by the spiders from Mars, and uh, it's it, it was just a total mess and it's pretentious, like claptrap. And then I got into Buddy Holly. Uh, from boy to an and I, I i got absolutely obsessed with it so i started then i thought no I, i'm not going to try and be david but i'm going to try and write these three minute pop songs that are, are really catchy and then i was around my friends one night uh playing the guitar around there he used to record me singing them you know he's, he was a very good friend and all of a sudden his father came into the room he said that's sounding a lot better what you're doing now than what you've done in the past i thought oh god you know, like somebody else is like, uh, thinks it might be onto something. And that's what I then concentrated on.